This is ESPN Radio. Um, this is another one. I'm going to guess Canty. No on the playlist? Nah, yeah, this no, this is not on the playlist. Not, not going to make playlist. it. All right, good. We're just windling down to the yeah. ones that we actually have. Uh, Chris Canty, Shane Cornette here with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Series XM Channel 80, and on ESPN+. Plus. We're bouncing around here between NBA and all the news going on in the NBA and, of course, the NFL because the Super Bowl is coming up on Sunday. But let's go back to the NBA. Obviously, the talk here is about James Harden. Is he Is he not going to be traded before the trade deadline? Um, they have a game tonight, and James Harden's not going to play. Third straight game now he's out with hamstring tightness, but I think there's a reason uh, <laughs> beyond that that he's not playing considering he's the one that told most of the media that he wasn't going to go tonight. And then Steve Nash, I know, just spoke to the media moments ago and essentially said he doesn't expect his roster to change prior to the trade deadline. Now there's all these rumors about James Harden possibly going to the Sixers or elsewhere. Um, and, 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 you know, I guess Steve Nash can say whatever he wants. What else is he going to say? Like, he can't say, well, we're sitting him because he thinks he's going to get traded. Like, there's nothing else that he can say, but we're all sitting here wondering, like, when and if it's going to happen. I assume this is going to come right down to the wire, can't he? No doubt about it. And I think that there's some posturing on the part of the Brooklyn Nets when it comes to James Harden because we heard from Woj today. I mean, not Woj, but we heard from Wendy today, Brian Windhorst, and he was saying that this was a ploy from both the Brooklyn Nets and the Philadelphia 76ers, and not to believe anything that was coming out from either side this week because they're engaged in these negotiations, so to speak, about trying to facilitate a trade that would send James Harden to the 76ers. So I think there's a little bit of that back and forth, a little bit of gamesmanship involved, and that's typically what happens right before deadlines, but we also know that deadlines make deals, and that's why we don't have any shortage or a flurry of activity um, ahead of the trade deadline, Woe's dropping several bombs today already. And this is on the heels of more stuff coming out this past weekend. So I would anticipate that this is going to be a buildup. And I'm not going to rule out the possibility that James Harden could be moving on because, as we know, James Harden, he's saying that this is a hamstring injury, but him also going out against the Sacramento Kings and only scoring four points last week also makes a statement in and of itself. Yeah, no doubt about it. And speaking of that, let's hear from Brian Windhorse, our ESPN NBA insider. He was on Barton Hahn earlier today kind of explaining this. Let's start with what you just brought up there, uh, Canty, in terms of him using that Sacramento game as kind of a tactic in terms of wanting to be traded and sending a message. Here's Wendy on that. James Harden is negotiating, too. He was negotiating by not playing these last few games. He was negotiating that game in, in Sacramento last week where the Nets had lost five in a row and really needed to win that game. You're playing against Sacramento on a five-game losing streak. You've got to win. And, and, and Durant isn't out, so you need to show up if you're, if you're hard. And I just want to put something in perspective. Until he pulled his hamstring in that game at the end of last season and had to come out like in the first quarter, he had scored in double figures in 450 consecutive games. Okay, wow. A decade worth of games, double figures. The streak is back up to 44 until last week, and he had a four-point showing in 37 minutes of the game in Sacramento. He might as well have worn a sign around his neck that said, trade me. That was a negotiation. Okay, so echoing similar to what you just said, this was a negotiation, and I thought Wendy put it perfectly the way he kind of put this all into perspective, but I just kind of mentioned how Steve Nash recently spoke to the media because, again, James Harden is sitting out again, and I'm going to quote Steve Nash here. They asked about his injury and him sitting out again with this hamstring tightness, and Steve Nash said there's no point in us risking a big patch of this season. Take that for what you will, but again, here's Brian Windhorse on anything anyone says from the Sixers or Nets camp, basically we shouldn't believe. Here's Wendy. I'm going to tell you, 
everything you hear, like, like if you hear, this is just a, a hypothetical, but if you hear today, for example, that Philadelphia might have a trade going with Tobias Harris somewhere else, the first thing I want you to think about is that that's a negotiation. Everything that you hear from these two sides, whether it's leaks, whether it's stuff that they say on the record, is a negotiation. And it's not just a negotiation for Thursday, because whether they get this deal done Thursday or not, it's also a negotiation for this summer. Mm-hmm. Because Harden can be a free agent this summer, and he can we can go right back into this again. And what gets said and done now could affect that that time too. Okay, so we shouldn't believe anything because this could all be used not only right now prior to the deadline, but also sometime this summer, which Canty, as you and I talked about earlier, might not be in the best interest of the Nets. No, it might not be because Brooklyn is operating under the assumption that they're going to be able to execute a sign and trade for James Harden if they're going to have to ultimately part ways with him. And the teams that have cap space currently uh, aren't necessarily destinations that James Harden would be interested in if he's prioritizing winning a championship. But to that, I would say, when it starts to talk about Daryl Morey and the Philadelphia 76ers, be careful because Daryl Morey has proven himself to be creative when it comes to creating cap space. Once upon a time, he was interested in bringing Chris Paul over to the Houston Rockets from the L.A. Clippers, and he was able to pull that off. Now, I'm not going to take credit for this idea. i got to shout out my boy Nick Wright for being able to bring this up on his show, but he said that Daryl Morey found a creative way by being able to do it. He was able to trade away some pieces. He was able to execute the stretch provision on Ryan Anderson, and voila, there goes the cap space for Chris Paul. Now, ultimately, he ended up working out a deal with a trade and sending Pat Beverly, amongst other pieces, out to the Clippers for Chris Paul, and that ended up working out for both sides there, but Daryl Morey has shown that he can be creative when it comes to creating cap space, and that's the one part that I would be concerned with if I'm the Brooklyn Nets because it's not outside of the realm of possibility that you could flip Ben Ben Simmons for a bevy of draft picks and then also look at potentially waving Tobias Harris and using the stretch provision on his contract to create the cap space for a James Harden if he wants to come over in free agency. Also keeping in mind, when you take on James Harden, the other teams around the NBA that could potentially be interested, you also got to know that James Harden is interested in getting a contract extension as well. So that's the other caveat to this, and that's why I don't know that the Brooklyn Nets have as much leverage in this situation as their posturing may seem like they believe they do. Okay, so again, the Brooklyn Nets tonight, they're going to face off with the Celtics. No James Harden, him sitting out his third straight game. NBA trade deadline is less than two days away at this point. It comes Thursday around 3 o'clock. Other news that was dropped from Woj earlier today was the news that C.J. McCollum is going to the New Orleans Pelicans. He is out no longer in Portland. And so we brought up what does this mean for Damian Lillard. But then with all that in mind, in terms of Damian Lillard staying in Portland, kind of loyal to a fault, quote-unquote, wasn't enough with C.J. McCollum there. Now we get this next breaking news here from Woj that says Bradley Beal plans to undergo season-ending surgery on his left wrist. Okay, there's that. But then there's this part of it, too. Bradley Beal is eligible to sign a five-year, $245 million contract with the Wizards this summer. He also has a $36.5 million player option on next season. He is eating so much of that cap. Like, he is taking in so much money, and it's kind of, in a way, holding the Wizards hostage. We talk about teams that have just not been able to get over the hump. Yeah, Portland, 
Also, the Wizards and Bradley Beal is just chilling there with that big contract. Like, what do you even do? You're just okay with, like, mediocrity? I don't understand what's happening in Washington with that big contract. It's unfortunate he has to have season-ending injury, but this is problematic in terms of the books. Well, well Shay, you could have stopped the sentence that he's eating out here because a quarter of a billion dollars in a contract well extension too. this summer? God bless Bradley Beal, 28 years old, being able to get that kind of money uh, from the Washington Wizards or an NBA team. Listen, I'm with you on that one. You can make the same conversation for Brad Beal as we have with Damian Lillard. They need to get the hell away from the organization that they currently play for in order to have a chance to contend on a team that has aspirations beyond just making it to the playoffs. So uh, I'm with you on that one. It just feels like it's in the best interest of both sides if they were to have a parting of ways because if you're the Wizards – You'll be able to bring back draft picks. You'll be able to create some cap space, which would give you some flexibility and being able to take on salary for teams that are looking to dump. But also, in doing so, being able to get young players that could be viewed as building block pieces for whatever comes next. And for Brad Beal, this is an opportunity for you to showcase your talents to the rest of the NBA. Now, I get it. The player has to be amenable to that kind of game plan. But if you're the Wizards, you're going nowhere fast with Brad Beal and whatever else is around him now. I do think that them trading Russell Westbrook this offseason was probably one of the smarter moves that the organization could have made because of what it brought back from the L.A. Lakers. But that's certainly not enough for the Washington Wizards to be in a situation where they can contend even though they're in the weaker of the two conferences. Yeah, I'm with you. But is he really going to walk away from that much money? I mean, again, he can sign a $245 million contract with the Wizards this summer. All right, let's go back to the NFL Five sleeps away from the Super Bowl between the Rams and the Bengals. And so which was the best NFL coaching hire this cycle? We're going away from the Super Bowl and more to all these new coaching hires because it feels like half the league at this point, nine vacancies, nine filled roles. Which was the best one and has the best chance to win? We'll talk about it next. CSPN Radio. Treat me right now. This is ESPN Radio. <laughs> And I told him to pull up this song, our dear Matt Lack, because this is so true. And talking about the Tom Brady stuff, he went full Bieber on us. Yes, he and did. And I do like Jay. this song. Why, I love. Why I did get you down put with that idea in his brain? It's like Inception, that movie where you just planted that seed and you just let it grow in Matt Lack's brain. I like it. And then it comes back to haunt us. I love a little Bieber. It gets me going more so than like Taylor Swift or the Bears. So, so you like At the Biebs? At least we're in this decade. You like yes, the Biebs? I love oh, the Biebs. Interesting. Because there's somebody in the ESPN family, I'm not going to name names, that doesn't think the Biebs is a great neighbor. I'm just going to put that out there. A great neighbor? A great neighbor. Oh, that person's not in, in my... Uh... My, uh, I don't know. That's not, they're not in your phone? <laughs> they're not, no, they're not in my same, like, salary cap. You know what I mean? Like, I don't live next to Justin Bieber. So I, I can't relate to these kinds of things. That's all I'm trying to those tell are, you. Those are first class problems. Yeah, I got so, you. yeah, those are, right, exactly. Those are first class problems. I just simply don't have. Uh, his name's Chris Canty. My name's Shay Cornette. Thanks for hanging out with us. It's ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Series XM Channel 80, and also on ESPN. Plus. Um, so we were talking about uh, a lot about the Super Bowl, but let's just switch gears a little bit here and go back to the. NFL coaching hires this cycle. There were nine coaching vacancies at this point. Now they have all been filled. The Saints filled theirs. Texans filled theirs. A little bit of a head-scratching situation there. But nonetheless, they're all filled at, at, at this point in time. And so when you look down the nine hires and take a step back, Canty, which one would you say is the best or the worst? And you can combine the two, and I guess worst is probably a little strong, but one that is a little bit head-scratching. I guess we can go that way. Well, I think you probably go with the Texans and the Saints. And I would just say from the standpoint of 
those two head coaches seem more like stopgaps. Like, we talk about bridge quarterbacks a lot in the National Football League. I feel like there are bridge coaches out there, too. And Lovey Smith and Dennis Allen feel like they both fit the bill when it comes to that. So I will put those on the list as head scratchers. But chief among the head scratchers during this hire cycle has to be Nathaniel Hackett, the offensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers, getting a job for the Denver Broncos. Really? You think that's head scratching? Yeah, who was checking for Nathaniel Hackett? I don't know. Like he wasn't. Well, the play I wasn't call. checking for him, but I, 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 not that I saw it coming. I'm not gonna pretend like. Oh, uh, I, I was like about it. to say. Yo. No, no, no. But I <laughs> if did you, if know. If you saw that coming, I was gonna ask no. you to give me the Powerball number. No, no, no. I didn't. But I did know <laughs> that he had a good relationship with Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. And if, mm-hmm. if Denver wants to lure those two there, like this is a good start. So I mean, I, that is the only thing I knew. So when that happened, I was like, yep, and Rodgers going to Denver. So that's why I just didn't feel that shocking to me. But I don't know that that's okay. a good reason to go hire that person as a head coach. Exactly, because if you swing and miss on Aaron Rodgers or for whatever reason Aaron Rodgers says that he wants to go back to Green Bay after all of the drama over the past couple of off-seasons, then all of a sudden you're stuck with Nathaniel Hackett as your head coach. So I don't know if that's necessarily the best route to go when it comes to trying to develop your program and move your football team forward. Um, That being said, I I think that those are probably the, the hires that I don't necessarily think were great during this cycle. But the one that I think stands out as the best is Doug Peterson. And even though I don't like the way the Jacksonville Jaguars got to that decision, uh, I like the fact that you are bringing an adult in the room when it comes to Doug Peterson. He's somebody that's proven that he can develop young quarterbacks and have them highly productive, get them to play at a high level. But then overall, being able to get the team to buy into one agenda and to have success at the highest levels of the sport. Super Bowl winning head coaches don't grow on trees. And the fact that Doug Peterson has that on his resume and the fact that he navigated a tumultuous relationship with general manager Howie Roseman in the front office leads me to believe that he could be a good fit down in Jacksonville because, again, having that experience and not necessarily being on the same page with the GM in Philly, I think that's an experience that's going to bode well for him in trying to deal with Trent Baalke still being a central figure in that Jaguars organization Trent Baalke, we know, was at the heart of the dysfunction with the San Francisco 49ers that led to them firing Jim Harbaugh. He also had his fingerprints on the hiring of Urban Meyer, which was an abject disaster. So I don't know why Shad Khan is staying with Trent Baalke as his general manager. It cost the Jags their first choice, seemingly with Byron Leftwich as their next head coach in this hiring cycle. But they landed on a pretty good fallback option in Doug Peterson, somebody that I think can help Trevor Lawrence get his career back on track. And that's what this hire is all about. Trevor Lawrence being able to get him to realize the potential that allowed him to be the number one overall pick this past draft. Yeah, and look, I when the Bear I'm a born and raised Chicagoan, cheered for the Bears, covered the Bears, followed the Bears Bears very closely, and then when they were out of the head coach and no Matt Nagy, I thought they should have gone and gotten Doug Peterson. Look, he came from the similar coaching tree, obviously, in Andy Reid that Matt Nagy did. I don't know if that's why they maybe took a step back, but I thought he'd be someone that could help develop Justin Fields in that offense. Hey, he won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles. Can he do something similar in Chicago, a place that in the last five years has been in, in the bottom 
10 of the league four out of the last five years offensively. I was a little surprised to see them go hire a defensive-minded head coach, but perhaps they're just wanting to go in a completely different direction, and now the hope is that Eberflus is bringing in two guys on the offensive side that will, he won't, you know, have to look over his shoulder every minute and let them go about their work on the offensive side and hopefully bring that side of the ball along. So I guess that was my head-scratching thing with Chicago. I agree with you in terms of Jacksonville making the right hire, and I hope Doug Peterson can navigate the waters there. I like the Brian Dable, Joe Shane situation with the Giants. I don't love how we got there, considering Mm. what we know now, obviously, with Brian Flores. But I think these two have a real opportunity to bring along, whether it is Daniel Jones or they go look elsewhere for a quarterback. What you know, I think, with these two guys is that you're going to get the best from that position, because that's what you saw with Josh Allen. Josh Allen coming out of the draft, a guy I covered in college at Wyoming, had accuracy issues. I mean, everyone knows this now. They were able to fix that. And Josh Allen told me as such over the airwaves and in interviews, like this is something that he worked on tirelessly during the offseason was accuracy and those big throws not being so erratic. And he was able to clearly fix that problem. So if you can fix a guy like Daniel Jones or bring in someone that is a higher caliber at that position, the Giants would go obviously a long way. So I do like that higher. Um, What I guess I don't really understand is the higher that was made um, with Kevin O'Connell and the Minnesota Vikings. I'm not saying that he's not going to be a head coach. I I don't think that's fair when we take a step back and we're like, this makes no sense to me. He could be terrible. I don't know. I I don't know Kevin O'Connell from anyone. What I do know is he doesn't call plays for the Rams. So why is he going to be able to step in? And and I'm not saying that you have to be the the sole play play caller to be successful, but it just feels like that means you have more ownership of one side of the ball. In my, my opinion, and Canty, you'd know better than me, obviously with this, but it feels like that, that means you have more ownership and you have to oversee more, more things if you call the plays on a specific side of the ball. And he doesn't do that at all with the Rams. And so what gives him the pedigree to go be the head coach now of the Minnesota Vikings? What I guess I would look to is that the Vikings are trying to change the culture there in Minnesota. And maybe this is a young-minded fellow who could do that. And maybe he could bring in this kind of Sean McVay energy and and change the way this kind of old school thinking that's followed the Minnesota Vikings for the last couple of years. Sure, maybe he can do that, but is that going to result in wins? I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I think that's the question that a lot of people have about Kevin O'Connell because he's not a known quantity as a play caller. But, I mean, you look at Zach Taylor who came off of the Sean McVay tree and he's got his team in the Super Bowl in his third year there. Now, a different set of circumstances, and I know a lot of people are on the fence about giving him credit for this team being where they're at right now, but he wasn't somebody that called plays under Sean McVay, and yet he had the opportunity to get his team to the Super Bowl. Now, we also know off of that McVay's tree you got Matt LaFleur. Now, the difference is Matt LaFleur actually had an opportunity to be a play caller elsewhere before he ended up getting a job with the the Green Bay Packers as their head coach, so a little bit different there, but I'm with you. I understand the skepticism, but the Sean McVay tree is hot right now. That's what's yeah. up in these streets with the NFL and so they're going to go in that direction, uh, and it turns out that you know they're willing to risk um, seeing what Kevin O'Connell can do given the state of the franchise and knowing they got so much riding on trying to make things work out with Kirk Cousins in that offense. I don't have a problem with them going with a coach that has an orientation on that side of the ball. It's so funny. It was like the Belichick tree was hot for a while. It didn't really work out for very many people. Then it was the Andy <laughs> Reid tree. And like it's, you know, Doug Peterson, yes. Nagy, not so much. And now we're moving on to the Sean McVay tree. And we'll yep. see how this all kind of works out. Um, all right. Sean McVay is going to be in the Super Bowl in five five days, six days. And so we're getting ourselves ready. We're going to play a little game of Super Bowl prop bets next. You don't want to miss it. This is ESPN Radio.
This is ESPN Radio. More Bieber. Okay, I'm here for this. Now we've gotten it right in the last half hour of the show. I feel happy with what with the progress that we have made, Canty. Um, all right, welcome back, ESPN Radio. I was about to say, that makes one of us. <laughs> he doesn't know. Well, we'll get this right for you the next segment. Don't worry. Uh, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Series XM Channel 80. Chris Candy, Shay Cornette, I'm having some mic issues, so forgive me if you will. Uh, tune into the ESPN Daily Podcast, bringing you a deep dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters presented by Supercuts. Download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily, available wherever you enjoy your podcast. Okay, Mike is right. Mind is right. Let's get ready for the Super Bowl with some prop bets that have to do with the receivers. Candy, you ready? I'm ready. Give Let's do over this. over and an under. Let's start with Cooper Cup. Total receiving yards. 106 and a half, 106 and a half, over or under for one Cooper Cup. I'm going over on that one, Shay. It feels like that's light work for Cooper Cup. Keep in mind, we're talking about a guy that was 17 yards away from surpassing Calvin Johnson's NFL single season record for a number of receiving yards. Like, this is a guy that is probably the most prolific receiver in the National Football League, obviously the most productive. And I don't think we give him the credit that he deserves because he doesn't necessarily have the physical attributes that wow you in comparison to other receivers, kind of like what we see from Jamar Chase, what we see from some other guys, Justin Jefferson around the National Football League. But Cooper Cup, all this guy does is just eat up stats. He catches a lot of balls. He 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 goes for distance with a lot of them. He he gets open. He finds that 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 void in the scene in the uh, in the defense in the secondary and just presents a target for Matt Stafford. So. Over 106 in the biggest game of his career, it feels like that's light work for Cooper Cup. Everybody knows that the ball is going to him, and yet he still finds a way to uncover. Even down the stretch in that NFC Championship game, you saw it. So I feel like this is money in the bank, Cooper Cup, over 106 yards receiving. I'm with you. And don't forget the hook, 106 and a half, okay? There's a okay. little hook there, but yet still. 106 I, and a half, yeah. I, I'm still going with you. I, I'm going to go over all day, you're right, this is light work because Cooper Cup is averaging 116.7 yards per game. That's 20 more yards than any other receiver in the NFL, more than wide receiver Devontae Adams included there, okay? Mm-hmm. He's averaging at least one touchdown catch per game, and you mentioned the Calvin Johnson stat. This is easy money for me. Take the over. This one's a little bit trickier, though. Um, let's go to Odell Beckham Jr. Over under 63 and a half total receiving yards. I feel like he's starting to come on a little more lately, obviously, and have those splashy big games. But something tells me he's going to hover right around here, 63-and-a-half, over or under for Odell? I'm going under, Shay, and I get it. In the playoffs, Odell is averaging 78 yards uh, a game receiving. But I I don't necessarily think the game script is going to lend itself to Odell being able to have a big day. I think he's the guy that that, – that Lou Anarumo, the defensive coordinator for the Bengals, I think they end up shutting off the faucet with him when it comes to productivity. Now, Odell, in the three playoff games, 19 receptions on 23 targets. has been money when Matt Stafford has targeted him, but I don't think he's going to have a lot of opportunities to get loose in this matchup. I just don't see it going that way. So I would go with the under on this one for Odell. 63 and a half yards, I'm going under. I'm fading Beckham. See, I want Pun intended. Yeah, I wanted to do that with you, Candy, because that's where I was leaning, but I feel like I need to go the other way. Mm. When is Odell going to want that ball and want those catches in the Super Bowl in front of everyone at SoFi Stadium? This is his moment to shine. This is what he's been waiting for, dreaming of when he came to the L.A. Rams. I feel like they're going to feed him when they can, especially because we all know, as you said, that they're going to go to Cooper Cup often. 
Why not go to Odell? He's playing well in the postseason. Nerves haven't shook him at all. Something just tells me he's going to want more in this Super Bowl game, and so I'm going to go over on 63.5. Not by much, though. I think he hovers right around 70, but I think over. Total receptions now. We'll stay with Odell here. 5.5 is the line. Over or under 5.5 total receptions for OBJ? I'm going under again, Shay. I mean, listen, according to the game script that I think is going to play less than 48 hours to go to the trade. I think this is going to be a throw to score but a run to win type of situation, and Sean McVay is going to try to get up early in this game and then solve it away with Cam Akers in that running game against that Bengals defense. I don't see this as a track meet up and down the field, so I think there will be limited opportunities for Odell in the passing game. And also, keep it in mind, the emergence of their tight end, Blanton, who stepped in for Tyler Higby. We don't know the status of Higby, but Blanton looked great in the NFC Championship game. I think he's going to be a part of this passing game, a safety valve for Matt Stafford. So I think that's going to take some targets away from OBJ. So I'm going to go under the five-and-a-half receptions for uh, for Beckham. Really? You're going to go under? Uh, I feel like I'm going to go under, too. I think it's going to be like around five. Like that hook is kind of throwing me off. I do think he's going to have quite a few receiving yards. I think he's going to be involved in some of those big play situations. I don't know why. I just feel like he's going to have a little bit of a spotlight there, but not a ton of targets. So I'll go under. Again, the over-under is five and a half. I think it's going to be right about five. So I'm going to go under just by a tick. Cooper Cups, total receptions, uh, line at eight and a half over-under. Ah, uh, you know what? I'm done doubting Cooper Cup. I'm not going to do it, so go I'm going to go over. I'm Let's going go. over with Cooper Cup. I mean, listen, you got to dance with the girl that brought you, right? That's right. And that's Cooper Cup for Matt Stafford, so I think he targets him early and often. They find creative ways to get him to football. You saw it, again, on display throughout the entirety of the postseason, whether it's uh, you know lining him up in the slot or lining him up out wide, um, giving him the ball on smokes and letting him do damage on in the screen game. They'll find ways to get Cooper Cup touches and let him impact this ball game. I can't imagine Sean McVay not continuing to go with that game plan. In the biggest games, you got to give your big-time players chances to impact them, and I think that happens with Cup. So I'm going over eight-and-a-half receptions. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Give me over eight-and-a-half for Cup, too. He's a star, and he's a star on this roster. Him and Matthew Stafford have developed something special there. I think over as well, and this is an easy one for me. You can jumpstart the new year with Body Armor Light, the new low-calorie sports drink hydrating your active lifestyle. Shop now at retailers nationwide. So, talked a lot about the Super Bowl, but also the NBA trade deadline is coming up. Much sooner than the Super Bowl is, actually, Thursday afternoon. And all the talk is surrounding the Brooklyn Nets and James Harden. And, well, we heard from the head coach, Steve Nash, ahead of tonight's game against the Celtics. We'll do that next. This is ESPN Radio. How's this? Candy, we're going to close it out strong, aren't we, buddy? Absolutely. I can get down with a little bit of this. There we go. Dr. Dre? How could you be opposed to this? We're gearing up for Super Bowl halftime. Exactly. A little bit of a preview at a halftime show. Why not, right? Dr. Dre, some M, some Snoop. I love it. We got Kendrick Lamar, Mary J. Blige. I mean, this is going to be an epic halftime show. I yeah. mean, one of the greatest that we've seen in Super Bowl history, and that's saying a lot, seeing as how Prince did a halftime show in the rain in Miami in platform shoes. Let me like, tell I mean, you this. This, this is going to be right up there with that performance. Candy, let me tell you this. I What's have up? Ten, I have a 10-month-old son, and he doesn't know how mom gets down until this halftime goes on. <laughs> he's about to see some college shake come out, and he's going to be probably a little bit frightened. 
That's uh, what's up. That is what's that's up. That's probably what's going to happen. Chris Canty, Shake Hornet here with you, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Series XM Channel 80, and hello from ESPN Plus. So uh, we'll talk more about the Super Bowl in a minute, but first let's go three and out. How's it done, Canty? All right, let's go. Let's get it started, guys. Three and out. Sometimes it's the worst. Sometimes it's the best. Either way, we'll get you straight with everything you need to know. This is three and out. So, Shay, there's really only one place to start with three and out today, and that would be with Brooklyn Nets head coach Steve Nash, who has had no shortage of sound bites over the course of the last week leading up to the trade deadline. We know the deadline is 3 p.m. on Thursday. And Steve Nash is not mentioning words when he says that he believes that this roster will be intact. It will be the same on the other side of the trade deadline on Thursday. Here's Steve Nash in his own words. Honestly, I think we'll be exactly the same. You know, I think the chances of trades or deals happening for the deadline are so slim, especially for our group. So, you know, my my mind and attention is on this group and putting this thing together as guys become healthy again and trying to build it for the stretch run so that we can continue to improve, but also find that cohesion before you hit the playoffs, given that we have limited time now. By the time Kevin comes back, James gets healthy. Hopefully uh, we see more of Kyrie and uh, you go down the line, LaMarcus as well, Nick as well, so and Joe Harris. So, you know, right now, whatever it is, five or six of our top rotation guys are, are not in the lineup tonight, and, you know, they'll trickle back into the lineup, and it'll give us a certain amount of time, hopefully more uh, but it could be a short window to, to gain that cohesion. And we went through that last year as well. So um, hopefully we can find that uh, that common experiences and cohesion with whatever period we have left with everybody, uh, knock on one, and we can be ready to go when the playoffs arrive. Now, Shay, I don't have a watch, but it feels like Steve Nash and the Brooklyn Nets been waiting on this big three to be out there together to develop that cohesion for the last calendar year. And I just – I just think you get to a point in your organization where you realize that it's not going to work out. The Nets took an awfully big swing with trading out a lot of assets in order to bring over James Harden. And now you're talking about a player that's so frustrated that you're questioning whether or not this hamstring injury is legitimate to the point where Kyrie Irving is even saying, you know, I have to take him at his word when it talks about his commitment to the big three and trying to win a championship. I don't think this is a great place for the Brooklyn Nets to be. But Steve Nash continuing to say all of these different things just makes it feel like there's a little bit of posturing because if you got to keep trying to explain yourself, you're usually on the wrong side of these things. So it feels like that's where they're at when it comes to the relationship with James Harden. I don't remember if I heard knock on wood or fingers crossed. One of those two terms, I think, was knock in. on wood. Yeah, that's it was knock on wood. I don't think that's ever a good sign in terms of him <laughs> saying what he wants and getting the big three back together. It's almost like he was talking himself into this starting lineup and this big three and the chemistry all coming together at the right time once Duran is healthy and all the other things. Uh, yeah, this is just Steve Nash trying to make us all feel a little better when no one feels good about the trade deadline looming. I appreciate the effort, but a knock on wood in the middle of that long diatribe about what ultimately is going to be blown up sooner rather than later probably doesn't make me feel good at all if I'm a Nets fan. No, it's not going to make you feel good, and I can understand why it wouldn't make you feel good, especially if you're a Nets fan. But I got to talk about what made me feel good last night, Jay. I got to do it. I'm a proud UVA alumni, and we were able to get it done the last game that the Wahoos were going to play against Coach K and Cameron Indoor. 
It went out with a bang, and of course that bang was Reese Beekman knocking down the go-ahead three with .7 seconds left to, to, to get the win for UVA. Now this is going to end up being a big win for the Virginia Cavaliers because we're a team that's kind of been teetering on you know, whether or not we're going to be able to make a push and make the NCAA tournament. This is definitely a resume-boosting win, a quality win against a top-10 opponent on the road. But the way that it went down, we built up a nice lead early in the second half only to give it away, only to allow Duke to come back into this thing. But then, of course, the tie-up that we were able to get at the end of the end of the game on that last possession, tying up Trevor Kills off of that offensive rebound, and then being able to have the possession arrow. Reese Beekman inbounds the ball to Kihei Clark and then kind of lags a little bit on the out-of-bounds and then steps back behind the three-point line. The Duke defense completely loses him, and he buries a three-ball. So, it was great to watch as a Virginia sports fan, a former alum, just being able to have that moment, recognizing that this was the last time that they were going to be able to best Coach K in Cameron Indoor Stadium. And so that makes a lot. Let's listen to the call, courtesy of Virginia Sports. Inbound from the baseline. A long heave towards Bancaro. Turns, fires, and misses. Holy wahoo! The Hoos have done it! They take down. Number seven, Duke, wow. 69, 68, <laughs> and Virginia basketball is back. <laughs> yeah, it felt like to me, and again, thank you to Virginia Sports Radio Network for that call. It felt like to me, and I know proud Cavalier you are today, like it got, Virginia kind of got back to what it was, like slowing the game down a little bit, holding Ben Caro to under doubled figures in terms of scoring, um, just finding a way to, to set their own tone and their own pace in this game. And I feel like that had kind of been missing from Virginia basketball for a minute. And they kind of got back to that at Cameron Indoor against Coach K and this Duke Blue Devils team that, you know, we're all sitting in the tournament and maybe to win a chip. And that made me feel good for Tony Bennett and his squad. So it was good to see definitely as we get closer and closer to March. Yeah, Shay, you know Tony Bennett. If he had it his way, both teams would be on the other side of 50 in terms of scoring. Yeah. And so that's the kind of way that Virginia has to win games because we're definitely not going to outscore teams, especially teams that have the firepower that Duke is bringing to the table with Keels and Bancaro. But keeping it pushing in three and out, we have the inaugural NBA HBCU Classic to air February 19th on ESPN and TNT as a part of All-Star Weekend. The inaugural NBA HBCU Classic between Howard and Morgan State will be televised nationally as a part of All-Star Weekend festivities as the league expands support for historically black colleges and universities. This is going to be an exciting thing, Shay, because along with the exposure, the schools will receive $100,000 donations from the NBA and AT&T with the gifts intended to support Howard and Morgan State student-athletes with academic and wellness resources and more. So this is an awesome opportunity for outreach for the NBA. So good on them. And good on Michelle Roberts from the MBPA for pushing this. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, this is the kind of stuff you love to see. I love that we're implementing more things that have to do with HBCU and creating classics and all the rest of it as we move forward here. And I, I, this is this is great stuff surrounding the All-Star Game. I can't wait for it. It's uh, also been great stuff working with you today, Chris Canty. Absolutely. And your husband, Jordan Cornette, is finally going to the Super Bowl, so we're excited about uh, that. Yes. More Super Bowl talk tomorrow. We are going to catch up with you then, but Spain and Fitz got you covered right up next.